here with uh, Resistance Radio in just one quick moment. Uh, before we do, I just want to remind you all that WHIV exist uh, because of generous donations from y'all. So please donate uh, if you're able to. All donations are tax deductible. also want to remind you all that 12.3 WHIV in collaboration with Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine and the Southern Center for Health Equity is proud to announce FNOTE, the Public Health Film Festival of New Orleans, starting on May 10th and running through to May 12th. The festival will screen powerful feature-length and short documentaries intended to inform and educate audiences around a variety of topics while inspiring activism for health equity. The screenings will take place at Tulane School of Public Health at 1440 Canal Street in New Orleans. Admission is free, but seating is limited, so we definitely need folks to RSVP. Please do so if you are interested in attending. All attendings must RSVP to be guaranteed a seat. For more information, please go to f-no.org. That's f-no.org, and Resistance Radio starts right now. When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. George Bush doesn't care about black people. They have a Black History Month, but we don't have a White History Month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right-wing, ultra-conservative, alt-right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black, I'm too confrontational, I'm too tough, and I'm too disrespectful of them. But now I know I'm simply a strong black woman. We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. What is bad is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. 
Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV, and you are listening to Resistance Radio. We are proudly streaming live on 1230 AM WBOK. Thank you to everybody at WBOK that is making this stream possible. And if you are listening on WBOK, welcome to WHIV. Welcome to Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allendary. Sitting across from me is the very casually dressed. Yes, very casually. Very, I can't it's wait. day off. Oh, that's what if it I is. So, if I sound particularly relaxed today, y'all, it's because I haven't been to work since Thursday. Ah. <laughs> That's it's what amazing. it is. Very, it's very a, yes, relaxed and casual. I've, I've eschewed my normal suit and tie for a, <laughs> a t-shirt and some <laughs> jeans, and I'm going to take these back off and put pajamas on the moment I leave here. Uh, those are the sultry-sounding voices there, uh, or voice, rather, of Kenny Francis. Very relaxed. Very, uh, very Yes, uh, who is one of the founding members of Indivisible NOLA, and welcome to Resistance Radio. Kenny, it's nice to see you back in the studio. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um Today we we have a special guest. Um, we have Councilman for District A, Joe Jerusa, with us, and he's going to be spending the hour with us talking about a lot of things. We're continuing what has become a series of talking to our local elected officials and sort of talking to them about their backgrounds, their priorities, specific um, pieces of legislation that they work on, and like a lot of things. Actually, the goal is like to inform and to have a conversation. So we're very excited to have Councilman Joe Jerusa with us, and thanks for joining us. Whoops, here, let me go. Before you do that, uh, Mr. Uh, Joe, let me just say that uh, I do have a bio for you. So oh, you I, do? I do have a bio. Yeah. Oh, I wanna, yeah, I wanna, no, no. Actually, I want to read, read the, I wrote it. So. All right, Mr. Giarusso is the New Orleans City Council representative for District A. Mr. Giarusso grew up and went to high school in District A, and that is for those of you that are keeping uh, tabs out here, that'd be Jesuit High School, oh. and went on to earn his LSU law degree in 2001, where he was a member of the Louisiana Law Review. Mr. Giarusso has been recognized by his peers as the best lawyers uh, as a best lawyer in America and has recently been recognized by city business as a leader in law welcome to WHIV Joe thank you all for having me I appreciate it thanks for coming um, I actually want to start with the end there because I think that like as a, sure. as a doctor there why did I just call you doctor that's weird <laughs> as Mark Allen just said um, you had a long career in um, in the law before you became a city councilman and I would love to hear you talk about sort of the transition you've had to make from being a litigator to a legislator, because um, there's obviously different jobs, but both of them are dealing with the law, where you now create the law rather than practicing it. So how has that been? That's a great question. I'd tell you one of the hardest pieces is my instinct as a litigator is to question people. What about this? What about this? Because that's the way that you do things. That's how you arrive at your case in court or through depositions. But that doesn't translate well when you're trying to make a point at a city council meeting. So I've had to kind of reconstruct my thinking a little bit in terms of of maybe sometimes having more of a narrative. Mm -hmm. And when I'm trying to explain something rather than doing it by questions, I still ask a lot of questions. That's just by nature growing up being maybe either a nosy or inquisitive kid, but also part of the job. Um, And I think. I think also you have to remember, too, litigation is an adversarial system, right? There is the plaintiff, there's the defendant, there's the state, there's the defense. You're not necessarily uh, in an adversarial proceeding on every single thing. In fact, you don't want to be in an adversarial proceeding, right? So you, you have to think a little bit differently in those regards. I would say there's some parts that are really the same, though, right? I mean, you want to tell a story. How do you tell something? We were talking about it before we got on the air. There's a lot of inside baseball, inside mm-hmm. City Hall, or for people who are in the know, whatever your industry may be. But how do you take something that's complicated, that's nuanced, and break it down for somebody and make it simpler? How do you how do you do that? And as a you know teacher in particular, I think you can appreciate that. And I think um, 
as a communicator, you constantly want to be thinking about what is the shortest amount of space I can spend? How do I make sure people know about things constantly? And how are you making sure that people are up to date on what's going on? I mean, I think, I think, so there's, there's parts of it that are much different. And then there's parts of it that really tend to blend and are the same. So for today's uh, interview, you don't mind us being the people who are the inquisitive ones then and <laughs> no. then ask all the questions? Or? <laughs> it, it, it's funny because, uh, you know, when you're, when you're taking a deposition, which I did last week, somebody pointed out to me who, who had been in journalism, it's very strange to watch you do that mm -hmm. because I get to ask a million follow-ups. Well, what do you mean when you said that? Well, what is the real answer to that? Um, and when you are an elected official, as we were again talking about off-air, you put yourself in the position of being asked questions. Right. What is your position on this? Where do you stand? Why do you stand for that? How did you come to this position? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's part of it. Yeah, and, and, and thank you for, for, for being here because I think what you're describing to a certain degree is accountability and making and, – and, and so having lawmakers who uh, do appear not only just with us but that, that are willing to appear in front of the public to uh, be held accountable for the actions that they do I think is, is a sign of, uh, of dignity and, and, and respect. So thank you for I being should, here. I actually have a question sort of like related to that. Um, and I've, something I've asked pretty much everyone I've encountered that runs for any sort of office is why do you think more elected officials don't do this? Because like for me, and not just like something like coming on a show like this, like why do you think there seems to be so many folks who get to elected elected positions they don't want to be are, are like afraid <laughs> of like the public? Because for me, it's like I think about it just like any relationship. If you are like upfront and transparent about why you're doing things, right? That's like. Like if you have kids, right? It's like when you do something. Like, and I, th I think about you know, I don't have kids personally, but I've been raising other people's kids for quite some time as a teacher. And it's like the number one thing I think about when managing a child's behavior is you give them a reason, right? You explain what's happening, you explain boundaries, you explain expectations, you explain etc. And then you give children, you give them a reason. And the same thing you do in like an, an, any other relationship, like you you explain what's going on in the context. As to like why are you making the decision that you're making, and sometimes that decision might be, like, hey, you're not going to like this, but, and I don't, and I think, I think that we, I think part of what the disconnect that consistently seems to happen between the public and their elected officials at a local and national level is that doesn't seem to ever, like ever happen, right? I think that like you and I were talking a bit off the air about like the sort of sad state of our policies as Americans and how dis disengaged folks have become, and how there's this sort of prevailing. Um, nar not narcissism, uh, pessimism that's like, oh, it doesn't matter. They don't listen to me anyway. Why should I bother voting or engaging? Because like, they're, they're just going to do what they're going to do anyway. And, it's like, and part of that is it's a rare thing that a sitting elected official comes on public radio and is like, hey, let's like, get into the weeds on stuff. Well, I, I guess I would answer two ways. First, kind of going back to the first question, which is I feel like I need to make my case. Right. Like there, here's all the evidence. Here's the way I look at it. And so I want to make sure you are at least engaged with the way I'm thinking and hopefully it's in the same way. And I got to tell you, there's still a deep part of me that if somebody doesn't agree with me, I feel like I've failed to communicate well rather than we have this fundamental breach of principles. Um, the second piece I think really comes from being at the neighborhood level for so long and doing neighborhood engagement is you can ignore a problem. Okay, but to your point, what happens when you've ignored something? People get upset. You're not responsive. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not showing good leadership. You're not helping solve it. That doesn't really do anything. I think 
ultimately also people respect you more when you say, here's where I am. Um, and you may not like this set of circumstances, but I'm going to try my level best to be very consistent to let you know that I've thought about it, to let you know where I am and, and here's how I got there. And there are people who disagree with you. I mean, on, on almost any policy matter, there's going to be somebody who disagrees with you. And I think what you try and do is say, this is why I'm there. This is why I've arrived at this place. And hopefully we may not agree on this one, but let's see what we can do on the next one. The other thing I also try and do is to the extent you can avoid it being binary about an issue. Mm -hmm. We were sort of also talking about that. It's really easy to say my camp, your camp, that's it. And I think a lot of times your job as an elected official is going to to different groups and saying, all right, I know this is your perspective, but maybe let's take somebody else's perspective and, and having that conversation. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's a, it's a tough conversation to have. I think, I think that's, I think that's an important point to make that, you know, at some point decisions need to be made. Right. Um, and you're the one who raised your hand and said, I want to do that publicly. Well, that's right. And you, 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 you have to be willing to make those decisions. And, and the hardest part I would say is, when you have particularly your friends lean on you and say, well, I don't like the way that you're handling this, or I don't like this criticism that you're giving, or I don't like your policy position on this. And for you to have to push back on them and say, this is how I've arrived here. And, and maybe I've evolved to get to this place. Maybe this has been a longstanding position of mine, but this is where I am. And And I think the other thing I tell people is if you come see me on an issue, you're going to get three answers from me. Yes, no, I don't know yet because I'm still trying to figure out yes or no. Um, I think that's really important too. And uh, you know, I think it's very easy to go to one group and say, this is, this is something I believe, and then to a different group who has different beliefs, try and, and shift and change your fundamental core principles. I think that's sort of a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, you, you can, you can um, talk, I think, a little bit differently in terms of maybe sometimes the language used or even talk and nuance a little bit differently. But you gotta, you've got to be able to pitch wherever you are, no matter where you are. If you are tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Calendary. With me, as always, is one of my closest friends and somebody I admire greatly, Kenny Francis. And it is uh, wonderful uh, to have on uh, today for the hour is Mr. Joe uh, uh, Giarusu, who is a New Orleans City Council representative for District A. So uh, and we're on first name basis here. Giarusu is kind of hard to say, so you don't mind if I call you Joe. Absolutely not. Okay. So I, 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 I was practicing all day. And I just kept <laughs> tying myself up. And um, Joe, so uh, do you have a, a start place? It is place weird to call you Joe because it's like yeah, I want to call than you other people's first names. It's like <laughs> weird, like particularly informal. And it's like I'm just going to call him Joe, Joe for an hour. Joe, call yeah. me, call me. Well, listen, also like it a lot more because it's Joe's your friend. Joe's right. the guy yeah, that you're talking yeah. to Joe about coffee, right? right? So right. I, I, like, I, I know Joe. Like, right. Right. I know Joe, right? right. So if we can just kind of maybe start big and then kind of start to focus in on some of the issues that are that are happening. I think that what he was just talking about has a really good segue to one of the questions, specific okay. questions I had. Um, so I think that that was a very eloquent answer you just gave about like trying to think about diverse sets of stakeholders and then like make decisions. Like I think you said that it's a value of your philosophy as a legislator to sort of like not – put yourself in a position where it's like it's a or b that is like figuring out what is sort of like the best decision you can make based off like your conscience basically right 
Um, I think that segues really nicely into you have one of the more diverse districts of any of the council members. Um, for folks that are unfamiliar, District A includes both Lakeview and Hollygrove, which have starkly different needs, starkly different demographics. And like, let's speak frankly about it. Lakeview is a community of like mainly white affluent folks, and Hollygrove is a community of like mainly people of color that are not affluent. Uh, many of whom are living in poverty. As someone who has to try to represent the needs of both of those people, because that's your job as a the district council person, is your job is to do the best that you can for your district. I would love to hear you talk about your philosophy, given the the extremely often extremely diverse, and I would argue probably often um, competing needs right. of your district. It's a really good question. Um, I, I would say first, I think my district is the most philosophically diverse. So you have more Republicans, I think, there than any other district in New Orleans. Um, you know, we have about 78% white, about 20% African-American. So there is um, diversity in Hollygrove and Dixon in particular. I'll tell you something that resonated with me, and this was the first campaign thing I went to, was a meeting in Hollygrove. And I'm thinking to myself, here's this white guy who grew up in Lakeview who's representing you know, or wants to represent this district. What are the people in Hollygrove the most concerned about? Before the meeting got started, they started talking about, look, we don't feel like we see the police enough and our streets are in horrible shape. And I said, holy cow, but not cow. Um, <laughs> this is this is like a blindfold of being in Lakeview or Uptown that really many issues were aligned about. Mm -hmm. And I think people tend to forget that, right? People want to live in good neighborhoods. They want to live in safe neighborhoods. They want government that works for them. They want their services to be provided at, at the most efficient and lowest cost. They want to make sure... The fire department gets called that they're going to be out there. So those are issues that are really more universal than I think people realize. The hard part is is where needs are different. So let's take the example you use, Lakeview and Hollygrove. Both have awful streets. Um, and, and when my Lakeview constituents complain about Hollygrove, I want to take them to Hollygrove. And when my Hollygrove constituents complain, I want to take them to Lakeview. Because I think that gets lost in the shuffle, too, is that people say essentially – my pothole in front of my house is the most important pothole in the whole city. Mm -hmm. And it's everybody's got potholes everywhere. We need to work together on solving that. I've got one on my street that if you could do something about it. Listen, that. <laughs> listen. I, I tell I tell my wife uh, our 100 block is going to be the last one fixed in all of District A. So I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to you. Uh, but, but on the other hand, there are differences too. And so with Hollygrove in particular, blight is such a big issue. Mm -hmm. And grass cutting – we have a regular blight meeting with the neighbors in Hollygrove every Monday at 9 o'clock. Why do we do that? Because we want to make sure that they're being heard, that we know there's a process, that we feel like it's being met. I don't have to do that in other parts of my district because they don't have those same issues. So there's a balance of what I call those big issues and say these are the big issues that affect everybody. Part of the reason I – latched on to sewage and water board and i know we'll talk about that more later yes <laughs> right is that is that it, it doesn't matter who you are where you live in the city all that affects all yeah, of us right yeah. um, everyone's got a toilet that needs to be flushed right correct and and right. a house that doesn't want to be flooded or right. water bills they, they, they right. want correct right. water that's potable right um bills that should be the right level right and then and then what you say is okay 
once we once we try and focus on those big issues, what are my neighborhood by neighborhood issues that I can chip away at? And and for us, uh, I'll get really excited about oh we got this potable fill today, or this blighted house is now on the code enforcement list, or you know we've got the grass cut here, and and sometimes people will say well Joe that sounds like such a small thing, but it's a win. It's a win for the people who live there. It's a win for the people who have to deal with it, and so uh, it's. Those are your job, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, and 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 I think I think it's it's easy to want to focus on the big things to a certain degree, but not all the big things can be accomplished overnight. It's it's sometimes going bit by bit to make sure that people have the faith in the system and hopefully in you to accomplish what they're asking you to. So, in line of what, and and when you go to your website and and uh, and and when I've heard you speak before, these are all the things that you that you talk about, and and it, they all sound great. Of course, we all want you know functioning streets, and neighborhoods, and and and. Uh, potholes to go away and so one of the things that Kenny and I have kind of taken on is trying to understand one of the mayor's proposals and initiatives which is all having to do under the hashtag of the fair share uh, and the idea that New York City gets 100% of their tourism tax dollars back to them. Uh, San Francisco gets 75% uh, of their tax uh, tourism tax dollars or dollars back. And then New Orleans gets 10%. And so when we look at the disastrous state of our... I'm laughing because like, this is where I usually butt in and correct you and say it's actually 11.2. Oh, yeah, like... just, yeah, thank you for... He's contractually obligated. Right? <laughs> He's contractually obligated to be a painter. I'm, a con- I'm, a con- I'm contractually obligated to be the stickler for details that because I actually read. Right. The, you see, I'm actually a doctor, big, and like I do like things that's clinically relevant <laughs> and not scientifically. Basically, anyway. I'm his like research person that like I do all the work. I give him his notes, and it's like oh, hey, Kenny. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you have a radio station to have a show on. Uh, uh, so, but I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on the on, on fair share, and maybe help kind of a, as a communicator help dissect out what the problem is as you see it, how possibly we got here, and then what what our obligation is to get us uh, out of. Because I think that with more taxable dollars, sewage and water board is going to perform better right i mean to a certain degree you guys charged energy five million dollars essentially uh, that goes into sewage and water board to help pay for the deficits that they are at and i know the mayor is looking at 75 million dollars to do uh, something with sewage and water board so kind of in light of that maybe help us understand a bit about what's happening on the city city council level all right can i take a step back yeah. and talk please, about please yes so yes, yes. it's a gr- another very very good question but i think it requires a lot of explanation. Of course, please to answer it. Right. So that's what you have an hour. So uh, you're good. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Look, sewage and water board is divided into three different systems, and I think people forget that sometimes. There's sewer, there's water, there's drainage, and they're funded differently. Sewer and water is funded by our bills every month, and so that's why it's important for people to pay the bills and for the bills to go out and be correct. Because each of those systems, based on the increases that have happened over the last several years should theoretically generate between 100 and $120 million each. That's a significant amount of money. By contrast, drainage is funded only through our property taxes, and that's about a little over 16 to 17 mils, which translates to roughly between 54 and $60 million collected a year. Now, the reason I give that background is think about that big difference between what we get in sewer and water at nearly 100 to $120 million and then what we get at drainage of only $60 million. It's basically half, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when you talk about 
flushing the toilets, drinking the water, making sure the infrastructure works correctly. It's a big, it's a big, big bite off between those two. All right. So how do you, how do you make up for that is, is really the essence of a part of your question. And I think the mayor has hit on a really significant point here. One that's really resonated with people when you have dollars that are being dedicated towards tourism, essentially, um, that aren't necessarily going into the ground. And, and I think that's where people struggle as they say, look, um, for better or for worse, this moment in time, New Orleans is a tourism-based economy. That is how we make our money. That is how, how this, the city effectively keeps the engine running. Well, a lot of the, the pistons are being geared towards money being diverted towards sources outside of city government. And so I, I have said and will continue to say I think the mayor is right in what, in what she's hit upon and, and making sure that those dollars – portion of those dollars are being returned to the city um, primarily I think for infrastructure mm-hmm. concerns right now because that's really um, the highest that's the low, low hanging fruit it, it's it's not only the low hanging fruit but I also think I, I think I can make a really good argument that there is outside of existential um, global warming changes that are happening to the city and how we need to look at climate change um, I think I can make a really good argument um, that that streets and infrastructure are the single most important issue facing New Orleans. Single most. I think, it's a pre- I think, it's a, I think that's a pretty good argument that anyone who lives here can make. Right. Right. No, um, no one would argue with that. And I think to the point that you were making earlier that regardless of which neighborhood you live in, regardless of where you stand socioeconomically, et cetera, the, the, our lack of infrastructure in New Orleans affects everyone. Right. And it's you – know, the streets flood in Lakeview just as bad as they right. flood it, in Hollygrove. It's what unites Lakeview and, and Hollygrove amongst many other things, but those are the obvious ones. It, it is. And I tell you, can I tell you the other thing that's really interesting about it is remember we had the August uh, 2017 mm-hmm. flooding. Yeah, August and, 5th. This radio station flooded. Right. right really? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And I was getting ready to say, so I knew Treme was affected. A little bit of the French Quarter, primarily Lakeview, Mid-City were, were among the areas that were. And as I was campaigning, I was thinking, oh, well, Uptown really get it because Mm -hmm. they didn't feel anything that really happened there as a result of the storm. And those people were just as worried about it. Yeah. Why? Because of Katrina, because of our shared experience there and people saying, if it doesn't work, it's going to affect me next time. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, and and you tell people, look, uh, the infrastructure at Sewage and Water Board doesn't date just back to World War II. It dates back to World War I. Right. I mean, That's it is. Problem. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is not baby boomer old. It is right. World War One. Old. Right, right, right. C- century old. Yes. Yes. And and so we've got to start doing something about that. And, I, and what I worry about is sewage and water board is, is not only in battle, but they're in triage mode. They're having problems. Right. They're running to, just to keep in, in, in place. That's right. And and we know that you got to fix underneath the streets in order to have the streets operate in a better fashion. And, and again, sort of pointing to Lakeview as an example, just cross the 17th street canal and you go into Metairie, their streets and their infrastructure are in fairly good shape. Well, the sedimentation and everything else didn't change between new Orleans and Metairie just by crossing that canal. It's, there's been more care over time. Mm -hmm. And since, and, and, and investment, well that it's investment. And, and look, I, 
I, I don't think people like when I say this sometimes, but we've got to be really honest about it. There's been neglect. There's yeah. been neglect. And we can point the finger at everybody, uh, whether it's administrations, whether it's councils, whether it's leadership at Sewage and Water Board. It's been decades of neglect. We're here. We've got to find some solutions to try and get to it and how we can fix it. So was that one of the reasons why you chose to, and I'm trying to find the right phrasing here, not necessarily restructure Sewage and Water Board, but you created a seat. Do I understand that correctly? That's on the Sewage and Water Board uh, that is comprises with the city council person? Well, he, repla- he put it back, technically. It was there and it was gone and then... And then, and then it, it was right. brought back. So there used to be... Th- Three city council members who were on sewage and water board, the two at larges and one district council person, and they served as kind of an overseer, or no, they were directly on the board. They so were on the, the board. They, okay. they were on the board as one of the eleven members, um, essentially appointed by the mayor. And I guess the viewpoint was the mayor ultimately controls the board, but you have a very strong hedge with three elected officials being in there with their own interests and yeah. their own ideas, um, but but not enough to control the board. Just a point of clarification, the other the other eight members are also appointed by the mayor. Yeah, that's but 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 that was in the past. Okay. So then there was some restructuring of the board and the restructuring included getting rid of the council seats. So there were zero for a period of time. And then the mayor had appointments essentially of all of the positions except for a couple that came from the board of liquidation. But there was one from each council district, A, B, C, D, E. There was consumer advocates, et cetera. So that's how the appointments ran. And and then um, after the storm, I think people said, well, wait, um, we have one elected official, the mayor, who serves as the president of the board. Do we want to have another elected official who's on this, who perhaps brings a different viewpoint or a different voice to this and who's going to ask some questions about what happens? So in order to, to get a council member back on the board, there had to be an approval of the voters. That went to the ballot um, beginning of the year and passed by over 60 percent. So it was, I think, pretty strongly supported throughout the community. Uh, and, you know, now we have I mean, a to council. the point you made earlier, people want someone they can go yell at that they can vote against. Well, and, well, and, right? and the other. Frank, it, it, it's a, yes. It's and, a blunt way. I mean, to be frank, though, right? <laughs> well, like, that's 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 what people want. Right, like, they right, want right, someone right, that they can right. they can show up at your office right. and be like, hey, Joe, you said. Right. I mean, this is why I think that elected. Uh, this is why I'm a big, gov- a big fan of government doing stuff rather than privatizing everything. Yeah. Because you can actually hold somebody accountable. Yeah. You can't hold shareholders accountable. Yeah. And so, yes. Or just people who are appointed that don't have any sort of public vote. Yes. Right? Well, th- that and I also think a couple of things. Here, here's my theory on some of this. I also think a lot of people believe that, hey, I could be a city council person because it's not like being a governor or senator or the president of the United States. It's about nuts and bolts issues. And so they they believe that, you know, they can do the job just as well as you, and many obviously could do, could do the job just as well, if not better. Uh, I think other people also, sort of your point, Kenny, see you as that first line of defense, right? You are my council person. Uh, you may not control the streets. You may not control code enforcement, but I know I'll see you at the grocery store or at the soccer fields or at a neighborhood meeting, and I'm going to bend your ear when I see you there. I, I think that creates a different level back to Mark, what you were saying at the very beginning of accountability. You can't run 
in the city, and particularly when you're a district council person and you live in in that right, district. In that district, yeah. of yeah, course. You 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 have to be around. You have to be available. Um, and I I just think the easiest thing to do is is take it head on. And when there are issues, um, whatever they might be in the city, your email is going to light up. Your phones, um, your text messages, people stopping you. And that's just that's that's part of the reason, like as you said earlier, you raised that hand. Yeah, I I want to go back to something you said about um, the Sujo Water Board because, like, I think anyone who follows the news, like, perfect example. Uh, I, th- I think you'll be you'll get a laugh out of this. Is um, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today. Um, and she was like, oh, what are you doing on your show today? I was like, well, I'm actually having Councilman Joe Russo. She's like, oh, is that the Sewage and Waterbrook guy? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, so if you know, if you if you watch or read the news, like, that's what you're basically most associated with um, at this point, which is part of the reason why one of the things I wanted to talk about today was like, what are some of your other priorities? Um, but, like, I think I've heard you a lot publicly talk about accountability and, like, holding the board accountability, holding the, the Sewage and Waterbrook as an entity accountable but at the same time, you said, here we are, right? Whether it's like the person who's running it now, the person who's running it before, um, the current board, et cetera, we are in this problem, as you said, because of like decades of neglect. And there's, if you wanted to make a list of people who are responsible for that, it's a very long list that includes most of our previous administ- administrations and most of the previous sewage and board, order board members and heads, right? And um, the state that yeah. also controlled, yeah. you know, declining tax dollars into yeah. New Orleans and, you know, so lots of other My issues. point being, it's like there isn't some like person who decided like 10 years ago to not pay for things, right? It's actually a lot of people who decided that. Um, and so I think I would love to hear you talk about you said like we're here now. We have to do it. So how does like accountability look in terms of being like, hey, you guys are not doing what you're supposed to. But also realizing it's like, well, they're not doing what they're supposed to because like we're here now and we got here because of like a lot of things that a lot of people can't control. And I guess my question is, how do we balance that, right? Um, and, like, what is the path forward? Because I think that, like, I, like most people in the, in the city, I'm like, I don't know. Just fix it, Joe. I want my toilet to flush. I want the streets to, to drain. I want my bill to be accurate. And I, I just want it to work. So, like, how do, how do we do that? That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the hardest one I've been asked so far. I, I think Sujin Waterboard, and this is the thing I talk about the most, is come clean on the issues that you know that you have. And, and I think part of the issue in the past was not only being underfunded, which, which you sort of hinted at, but also there wasn't as much disclosure. And, and I'll just give you one example of that. Five, now six years ago, legislature passed um, a bill mandating that Sewage and Water Board provide a quarterly report, obviously every three months, to the city council. Well, until the August flood, it didn't even provide its very first one. That's a problem. That's a problem that's on Sewage and Water Board. Uh, I consistently tell Sewage and Water Board, I don't know what the right answer is, but I do know that if you fix the billing problems, that a lot of the morale issues and the acrimony will go away. Why? Because, A, we live in a society now where people can bank on their phones. You can deposit your check on your phone. You just expect that when you get your bill from your cell phone provider or from the utility, it's going to be right. Uh, And if you start working on fixing that, I think, I think you start restoring some confidence that, that there's um, uh, transparency, accountability, and also execution in the system. That's another piece. Uh, I'll say uh, one, one plug for sewage and water board is they have somebody new who's really doing a lot of their street maintenance right now. And since Fred Tharp came aboard, 
we've seen a sea change in the way that that sewage and water board responds to problems. The issue, though, that you're also getting at is is money doesn't solve all the problems, but it solves a whole lot of them. Mm -hmm. And until, Mark, going back to sort of a fair share and getting money, until we can think about cleaning all 70,000 catch basins on a regular basis, until we can look at all the linear pipe under the city and making sure that's clean, until we've made sure our capital improvements are done, uh, those are those are the parts that are going to take time. Now, I would I would say what I would like to see is a short-term, mid-term, long-term plan. And, you know, Mark, you uh, hinted at earlier the $5 million fine and giving that to Sewage and Water Board. Uh, to me, one of the things that we should really look at is that turbine six that we have that's weatherized. That is not weatherized right now, so it can't run in temperatures below 45 degrees. That's a significant problem. And it doesn't get below 45 often here in New Orleans. But it might more often now. Well, it might. And we don't want to be in a situation to right. say, here is a huge power source that we can't rely on. So what are what are some things that we can be doing, I think, that don't cost a lot of money at the outset? I'll give you another example. A lot of places in the city, and for some reason we seem to have a few in District A, don't have catch basins. They actually have natural drainage where the water flows from the high end to the low end. But what's happened at those places? They've been filled in. People have put driveways over them. Mm. They've had blockages that are unnecessary. And so on Fortin Street, on Arabella Street, on Adam Street, other places, we have those problems. Well, it's not a ton of money to, to dig those materials out or work on some other labor issues, uh, but we need to get there. And, and, and I know Sewage and Water Board and Department of Public Works are doing that. So I would, I would say the answers are, with the amount of money that we have, what is the plan for short-term mm -hmm. solutions? Then what does our future look like? Uh, I think in terms of fair share, partially, partially not, um, you know, we haven't talked about the drainage fee yet, which I'm yeah. sure will be a hot topic. Uh, and then, and then, what does the long term look like? And and I think, and I think, as part of all of these discussions, on top of that, I've only talked about the gray infrastructure. Really, there's two other really important pieces. One is green infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We've got to be focused a lot more on on doing that. You know, City Park is getting ready to take on 47 million gallons of water. That's great, but can we do it in Joe Brown? Can we do that in Audubon? Can we do that at other parks across the city? So that way, I'd much rather flood a, a Nord Park for a couple of days and see one person's house get flooded. Uh, and, a, and, and, and Jefferson Parish has done it, so there's, there's a template for that. And then I think we, you know, um, we want to make sure that Sewage and Water Board is paying people correctly. Um, you know, they have, and, and I think some of their job descriptions get really tough for them, that you may have somebody who's, qualified by experience to do a job, but they can't check that box of a college degree or something else that's preventing them from doing the work, and that, that holds them back too. So uh, there are a lot of different pieces that all have to be worked simultaneously. If you are tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Resistance Radio. I'm Mark Allendary. That's Kenny Francis. We are streaming live on 1230 AM WBOK. It's a pleasure to have uh, City Council Member Joe Giarusso on, who is the representative for District A. So we have something like 20 minutes left, and just kind of want to start getting a little kind of more in, in, the, in the weeds here. Oh, so I appreciate you just jumping in like that. Like, it's, it's a... 
Good. I, I appreciate like fellow policy wonks. Right. Um, and so one of the things that uh, that we obviously care a lot about here personally. So I don't know if you know uh, who I am. I'm an infectious disease doctor. I deal a lot with poverty and run uh, HIV clinics and now Hep C clinics in the in the city. And uh, a lot of my my patients and a lot of people that I see um, are homeless or or near homeless. And so watching kind of the struggles that have been happening in this city with respect to homelessness, uh, especially where I live, I actually live next to one of the larger uh, homeless shelters. I live in the CBD, uh, not too far from Ozanam, and uh, and have seen just an explosion of homelessness. Um, but particularly when you look at the districts with the greatest amount of homelessness, you're looking at District B and District C. Uh, and yet uh, District A has not had a lot of homelessness in, to a large degree. Uh, it seems as though if I'm reading the accounts correctly that you've kind of taken on the, the mantle of, of doing something about homelessness. And, and I think that there's one particular place, uh, I think underneath the, one of the interstate, uh, the highways, where there are a few folks that are there. And I've just been having a hard time kind of wrapping my head around the policies that you have been proposing, uh, set aside what other cities have done in terms of best practices. Uh, and uh, when you look at the science, uh, or I, I would say science, when you look at best practices or uh, how other cities have dealt with stuff. It just there seems to be a bit of a disconnect, and I, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show is to hear you speak to that directly. I think a, a different way I want to ask the same question is: I think one of the things that you said um, to me off air that I think really, like from what I've heard you talk about publicly and now, that sort of like defines the way that you carry yourself is like, there's a problem, but like, what's the solution? And so I guess we've all, everyone in this room has read the homelessness ordinance that the council is going to be. Um, the encampment ordinance that the council is going to be considering. My question to you is, how does it solve the problem? That's that's. I think that's the question we're both asking: is how does the ordinance, as it's currently written, solve the problem? And I think we can get into sort of the, the details of like what it specifically says and this and that. But I think that like ultimately, like what what are you trying to do here? Well, go ahead. I just want to say one thing. If you could just preface it specifically, because I just want. I'm just curious to know why that became something that you were interested in doing, especially when. That's not, you know, B and C tend to be the, the largest. And so d- when you were in law school, did you run a home? Like, were you doing homeless? Do you have a personal connection that 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 made that happen for you? So if you could do that, then we'd segue into Kenny's kind of uh, question as well. Sure. Um, I guess I guess two things to answer your question directly, Mark. One is I hope in addition to being known as a sewage and waterboard guy, I get I get I get I get known also as the quality of life guy. Sure. Right? Because I, I think I think those are the issues people really care the most about. That's number one. Um, you know, number two, uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but I, I lost my dad uh, now almost seven years ago when he took his own life. And so mental health has been something that's been really important to me. I'm trying to follow. I realize this is slightly off topic for a second. No, this to, is very pleased. <laughs> but, but trying to follow the bill that Representative Harris filed in the legislature about people who want to opt out of being able to buy a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yes. I, I think that's critically important yes. for people to be able to self-regulate themselves and say, hey, look, I, I know that I may have a problem, so I, I want to uh, – prevent at a later point my ability to do this so i think i think that mental health piece carries over a lot for me uh i I tried to be really careful when i was campaigning not to use it as a crutch 
or something as a sympathy point. But in terms of reviewing policy, particularly when it involves addiction and mental health issues, it's something that's very much near and dear to my heart because of, of what happened personally and the way it shaped my life since September 12, 2012. Uh, and, and along those lines, I guess more segue into Kenny's point, I, I don't know that the ordinance automatically uh, solves the problem, but there was something that was said in an early resiliency meeting that stuck with me from the mayor's office, which is if if you can't measure something, you can't manage it. Um, mm. And and I and I think you know we were again talking about data points mm-hmm. and, and how and how you look at at issues. And to me, there are parts of of the ordinance that we can talk about, which I'm happy to. Okay, uh, uh, but. But I think in particular the part that I'm the most interested in is is the data points. Can I, can I just respond to uh, that? And, and I'm a huge believer of evidence-based policymaking. I, I, I think that there is no other way of doing it. But let me give you an example from my, my line of work as a doctor. There's not a disease state out there for the most part that doesn't have some sort of measurable indicator. So I'll give you an example. So blood pressure. Right or heart disease, right? I can measure your blood pressure. I can measure your heart rate. I can measure how much calcium there is in the your coronary arteries. There's things that I can do. I'm an HIV doctor, right? I can measure your immune system. I can measure your viral load. I'm a Hep C doctor. I can measure the amount of virus in your system. I can measure what happens after I give you medicine, right? But there is an element of of um, that's the that's the science of medicine. Then there's the art of medicine. And when we talk about the art of medicine, that art is the I think what I like to think is the compassion or the humility uh, or humanity that I bring. And in no way am I making an analogy whatsoever. Okay, just as I'm saying these words, I'm realizing. In no way am I making an analogy, but I We're also want to. Where you're going with this? I, 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 what I want to, what I do want to say is that I think that while while using metrics is incredibly important to measure policy, I, I just think that there's more to metrics, and where you stand on that obviously makes you your own unique individual policymaker. But I just wanted to kind of push back a little bit uh, on that. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll yeah, well, well, but look, you know, we were saying sort of as we were getting on that part of good discussion is having disagreement, yeah. right? And so I appreciate very much your point of view, particularly because you are an infectious disease doctor. You see it every single day. Um, I, I would say that I'm troubled when I read the Times-Picayune and see that there are people who've been dead because of homelessness and the city's not capturing that. I don't think that's humane. Yeah. Um, I, I, can make, I think I can make a very good point publicly about why when people die – on the streets that we're not doing our part to study why that's happening. Now, I think a fair criticism would be, well, you're talking about how to deal with homelessness, but you haven't provided additional beds at the VA hospital. Uh, and that, and that's the point that I want to make is like at the risk of disagreeing with both of you. Um, my thing is like to the question I originally asked of like, how does this solve the problems is for me, it's like, we can see the problem that is homelessness in our city. And like to be like frank, which we've been very frank with each other, reading through this ordinance, it sounds like a really nice way of like saying we're going to move your stuff and like move you out of here and clean up this space that you were in. And like I and like I know all the data points, I know all the research around like homelessness and what happens in a campus at times. But at the end of the day, there's a sort of this human issue that these people have nowhere to go. And so for me, reading through this ordinance, it's like this is a whole lot of infra- resources we're putting in cuz like Someone's got to go out there and do the inspections. 
Someone's got to go out there and give the notice. Someone's got to go out there and collect and decide which things are personal property, which things are hazardous. Someone's got to lug it over to wherever you guys are going to store it. Someone's got to engage with the, with the community members that are like, where's my stuff that you took? Someone's got to help them find services. Someone's got to tag it. Someone's got to bag it. Someone's got to record it. All of these things cost money. All these things are resources. And so my question is, I think, but taking a step back from both of what y'all have been talking about, is that, like, we know this is a problem. We know that, and I personally, I think both of you guys would agree, I view homelessness as a, a failure on us as a society, both big S society and little S society, that these people are living on the streets in the first place, right? Because, like, we all know the issues, but mental health, et cetera, et cetera, that homeless folks typically have. And I view it as a fundamental issue with our society that, like, we live in a society that has the means that we have as a society, both, like, small S and big S, and there are people who literally live on the street. That's, like, a problem with, like, America in general. For me, it's, like, why are we putting – my question is why are we putting resources into this and sort of when it's, like – those resources could be allocated somewhere into like beds at the VA or like, like, cause I think like, the problem ultimately is like, we need to find better services and we need not temporary, but permanent housing for folks that is like not predicated on whether or not they can hold a nine to five job. That's like sort of like the end game there. And so for me, it's like, it's hard to see something like this in a cash strapped city that we are and be like, wait, wait, why are we like spending resources on this when it's like, well, even if it creates two beds, that's like two more beds than we had before. So I would say the hard part is you're always chasing dollars. Yeah. Whether it's in the city budget or outside the city budget. As somebody who has to review the budget, it's hard for me in a vacuum to say, well, X needs another 100000 or 200000 Well, why does, why does that need hundred or $200,000? And if I'm spending $100,000 on homelessness, am I taking away from mental health? Am I taking away from youth and family services? So why should I pull that money? So one piece is, is frankly a selfish one, which is when we're going to look at that budget that we have to allocate in November again, what information do we have to give more money to mental health services, mm-hmm. to addiction services, to help Odyssey House, to help NAMI, to help Bridge House, Grace House? So I think that's one part of it. The other piece of it is in doing my homework, you look at a HUD proposal and HUD says, hey, look, you want additional money. you got to show us mm. show us the data. And so if you're looking at grant writing, which is important, there's a lot of government, if you really look at the budget, that comes from federal dollars. And, and let's be honest with each other. In this administration that we have, things that are funded usually for cities have been reduced. Yeah. And, and you, know, you talk about affordable housing or housing for people like teachers and, and fire uh, personnel. I don't want to say firemen because there's women too, right? Um, community development block grants have gone down. Mm-hmm. CDBG money has been decreasing steadily. And so we've got to find ways to tap into some of that money. I don't know what I can present to the federal government, to faith-based groups, to charities to help out with this. And unfortunately, at this moment, we're not like Salt Lake City, right? Salt Lake City had essentially the Mormon Church come in and underwrite its its affordable housing for them. Now, if you say, "Hey, Joe, we're going to get more money for infrastructure because we're going to we're going to tap tourism dollars, or we're going to look at these other sources," I'm happy to look everywhere, but I feel like I've, I I know that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. I can't deny that there is one. 
What I can't say is how bad is it? Where can money go to best serve people? And how, if I'm even choosing between services and housing, yeah, where is the money best spent? I think it's a very fair answer. So I I guess uh, just one last point before we move on. I definitely want to maybe end end on energy, um, which is uh, it's just to a certain degree we're codifying. It's so hard to change once law gets placed. Once a law gets made or an ordinance gets made, it's so hard to change. And so putting the metrics into an ordinance and what happens when, you know, we talk about the Overton window shifting in society in terms of how politics works. What if there is a shift in kind of whatever that the equivalent of an Overton window is in homelessness? And so by putting these stakes in the ground in terms of a particular metric and ordinance, if things change, it's so hard to change that ordinance so that it keeps up with it does, does that question make sense it makes sense I, I would i would say i would say it makes good sense i would say two things I, I i think again when you raise your hand and you say i want to lead you got to lead yeah and and so part of it, I, it I, and i hear you on that and then that's a fair that's a fair answer and, and i also think in fairness we haven't talked as much about this but part of our job too is review what was done in the past too right so you know much, much more mundane issue, but look at sidewalk cafes. They cause this huge eruption of emotion about what's happened. Sidewalk cafe rules have been on the books since 1956. We actually, the city, we, the city, were doing a horrible job with enforcement. We had application fees of $850 that have now been lowered to $50. And we, we weren't really looking at it the mm-hmm. way that we should. So I would say, I think your job as a legislator is to be constantly vigilant, not mm-hmm. only about what your own agenda is, but also looking back in time and saying, well, somebody may have thought this was the best practice in 1970, 80, 90, even 2000. I mean, think about things that have changed so radically, sure. even in, in, since I was in college or law school. Um, I mean, look at this technology. Right, right. right. Here, well, that's, right? that's exactly right. Um, uh, that I think, I think it's your job to constantly do that. And, and my, my hope would be that, um, this is not just a stake in the ground, but it's also flexibility that people say, I hope so. Right. That people say, look, this is a starting point for a conversation. And, and I will say this, maybe, maybe this is part of my nature again, as being my day job in the past. I don't, I don't always claim to have the right or the best ideas, but if you have a better one, I'm, I'm happy to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And, and so let's see where we are. Um, in a little bit and, and see where we get and, and there's no reason not to tweet. I think the last point I want to make on that before like we transition for the last five minutes to just talk, talk a bit about energy is I think as a constituent to you as my one of my elected officials I I like listen to you talk about this and I like can see sit here and like hear your passion about it um, it may not be your intention to use this as in any sort of negative way. But I do think that the thing that I would caution against, the thing that gives me pause reading the ordinance is that like there's, there are portions of this that could be used as a, against as like a tool against homeless folks in the future by people with different intentions. Um, and I think that's what personally gives me pause about this ordinance reading. It's like, I mean, I was like, I can see like 12 ways in which a future person could be like, well, I'm just going to use this to just move people. Um, and so I, th- I think that, like, I would ask that you think about that and you think about, like, because, like, I think that you made a very good point about, like, reviewing past decisions, but also thinking about, like, you're not always going to be the councilman from District B, right? There are term limits. Like, you can literally do it for eight years. Um, 
and so I think that I think that's a thing that like I w- that's a concern as a resident that I would raise is that like I would hate to see something like this become a tool to be used against homelessness because like listen to your explanation about like data points that's not something that I like knew before walking in here and, th- and that's part of why we do this and why we have these conversations I think that's context that we all need um, I think that's like the the part that I that like brings me pause is how could this be used. Um, I do want to transition for the last five minutes about to talk a bit about energy. Um, I would just love to hear five you minutes talk for energy. I know. I just love to hear you talk <laughs> about like, so much time. He's like, your, thank, thank God. <laughs> I would just love to hear like your opinion. Like, like where, where? Did, yeah, what's where, going on? Where did, what is happening? <laughs> like, what, like, we should have led with it. But. How, like, we we have covered the the power yeah. plant extensively, and we, we don't need to rehash all that because I'm sure you've read the reports. I hope so. Oh yes. But, can you explain yeah. your votes personally? Like what? Like where were you at when you were thinking? It was it was really probably one of the hardest votes you have to take because again, as I said earlier, you're talking about all these issues that are big, right? Fossil fuels and cleaner energy and and how things are moving and the direction that they're moving in. Um, and again, part of it is as a legislator, you sometimes take things the way that you get them, right? Like I didn't create certain laws, and so you you inherit that. The biggest concern for me, and I said this from the dais, was that we had our our accounting and, and um, technical people verify that Energy had spent ninety million dollars already, or had the capacity to spend ninety million dollars already. Well, if you're looking at a two hundred ten million dollar power plant, and essentially half the money is already committed, pulling that back gave me personally a lot of heartburn. Why? Well, you. Kenny or you, Mark, may say to me, well, Joe, um, it's $90 million, but if there's a lawsuit, you know, energy is not going to recover 100 cents on the dollar. Maybe right about that. But what happens if we said it was $30 million or $45 million? Well, that cost is borne by the rate payer, and then you have nothing to show for it. And that really worries me because we didn't really talk about this so much in Sewage and Water Board, but when cash-strapped people get a bill that's wrong – it's you have a transportation problem, you have you have an equity problem, you have an ability to pay problem, and now we could be saddling people with all of these expenses unnecessarily. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair argument about like you know they're going to charge us for it anyway, right? And, but like I guess like I don't, for me it's just like I hate that, but it's like it's 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 hard to see a community say that we don't want this and then to happen anyway. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the the energy power plant is like it's a tough one because, like you said, there's issues, there's like sort of these more existential issues around like for one, the technology is not going to be what we need. I know we have to wrap up. Relax. I want answer, ask your question. Oh, but I, I I'm not I'm not asking a question. I guess I'm just like we're just like talking here. It's like I think that like I get the position that y'all were ultimately in. I just for me it it was hard to see a vote like that go down when you've got a community talk speaking out against it, right? And I think that like. Let's be honest. Like, if that power plant was being built in any one of our neighborhoods, we wouldn't want it there. And um, I think the fact that it's technology that's going to be old by the time it's built makes it re- like as a both as like a, on a human level and a ratepayer level, it feels like like we got a really bad deal as a city of New Orleans on this. And like, and I think that's why there's a lot of folks looking at the council and be like, guys, what what happened here? And, and and again, not to sound like a broken record about this, but. We need to do a better job of watching everything from soup to nuts, right? So as Mishu was starting to go down, which is the old big power plant, well, what was our contingency plan for that? 
doesn't seem like that was very developed. And the thing people complain the most about is what's called the distribution system. So the lines that go to your home. Mm -hmm. So in District A, Maple and Carrollton are the areas that are most affected. Huge problems in Districts D and E with not having those right. So you worry about all of those things in terms of, of where you stand, which is part of the reason I hope people feel like this council has come out so strong on on these utility issues because they affect everybody to such a large degree and you have to constantly constantly watch them because you got to make sure the money's being spent on the basic infrastructure yeah Joe Gerusso, thank you so very much. Uh, City Council person for District A, it's really been a pleasure. Uh, do you have a website or, or where people, do you blog or, or tweet? No one blogs anymore. Yeah, I, what year is this blog? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where, I don't know where blog came from. We, we do tweet at, do you have CM, a live journal? at CM, <laughs> uh, you know, just little notes on my hand, um, at CM Gerusso, and then we have our own web pages on the City Council website. Um, last word, um, I just want to say thanks for coming. Um, appreciate 